Romans 6. We'll be looking at verses 3 through 5. It says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we had been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Let's uh, just pick up a little bit of context. Obviously, you know, Paul is writing here to the Roman Christians. There. He's, de he's declaring his gospel. He's expounding on the gospel to people. We've went through all the bad news before we get to the good news, which is what gospel means. It means good news. Um, so he's proclaiming the good news of Christ to the Romans. And the good news was that we have union with Christ. We have justification by faith alone. We are justified by faith alone. Therefore, we have peace with God. Therefore, we go from being in union with Adam to being in union with Christ. From one in Christ. And that's kind of where we're at with our context. Apart from, if you remember, the, the subject here that ended chapter 5 where it says uh, that where, where sin did, did reign, grace, grace or where sin did abound, grace abounded even more. Remember that. And then the question was, well, should we continue in sin that grace may abound, right? And he said, God forbid. We should not do that, ever. We don't sin more that grace may abound more. Even though grace does abound where sin is more. And then he says, how shall we, who are dead to sin, live any longer in sin? And that's where we're at right now with our context. And notice the first, my first point here is don't be ignorant. Once again, Paul is answering, answering the question that he just posed. The, the question, how shall, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? That's the question. Now obviously it's more of a rhetorical question, but he answers the question for us, doesn't he? He, he? he says, Know you not? Know ye not? This means to be ignorant or not to understand. So, know you not to be translated. Are you ignorant? Right? Or do you not understand? Or do you not know? He's pointing to the answer. And the answer is what? The gospel. That's what he points to. He points to the gospel. Should we live in sin any longer? Do you not understand the gospel? What Paul's doing here, this is a little parenthesis right here, but what Paul's doing here, he kind of shows us somewhat of what, what, a, what an epistle does. What a letter to the church does. We have the historical narratives, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We have Acts. We have those historical narratives that tell us the story, right? It's a true story. It tells the story. And then we have the epistles right here. Romans is an epistle. It's a letter to a church saying, 
Remember the story? Well, this is what it means. You can read, you can read the history of it. What, what the history means to you is this. And that's what Paul's doing here in his letter. He's teaching us. He's teaching us, remember the true historical narrative of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord? Well, it teaches us this. And what does it teach us? That we should not continue in sin. That we are dead to sin. That we shouldn't, should not live any longer under sin. And that we should walk in newness of life. That's what the gospel should teach us. That's when we read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. It's just not, we're not reading it so we can get a nice story about a man named Jesus, right? We're reading it because it teaches us that we should not live under sin anymore. And that we should walk in newness of life. That's what the historical narrative is there for. That's what the truth of the gospel should teach us. But let's start breaking down the verse a little bit more. Remember, Paul's dealing in chapter 5 was about our union with Christ. And I hope we all know what that means. That we are made one with Christ. In Christ. This is why Paul says, know you not? Know ye not? Do you not know about your union with Christ? This, what, what he's saying with that kind of question, it should teach us something else too. That our union with Christ is a basic doctrine. It's not, it's, it's a fundamental doctrine. It's a foundational doctrine. Our union with Christ, he's like, he's, he's kind of confused that you don't know. How do you not know this? It's basic. This is elementary school Christianity. This isn't some doctrine some Gnostic doctrine that, that only people in the, in the closet know, right? This isn't some doctrine that you have to reach some certain level of spirituality to know. This is basic Christianity. Know you not this doctrine? That all that He accomplished is given to us because we have union with Him. That's what the union with Christ is. Everything that Christ accomplished, we have because we have union with Christ. Because we are in Him. We are one with Him. That's the gist of the, the doctrine. Everything that Christ accomplished in His life, death, resurrection, and ascension is yours. So, what did Christ accomplish in His, in his life? Perfect righteousness. He said, I must fulfill righteousness. He fulfilled it. He gave perfect righteousness is what Christ earned, did He not? When he fulfilled the law, never sinned one time, only did that which is good. He fulfilled righteousness. He earned perfect righteousness. And it's yours. If you're one in him. If you're in Christ, if you have union with Christ, you have perfect righteousness. So that's what he accomplished with his life. What did he accomplish with his death? Payment for sin. He accomplished soaking up the wrath of the Father, right? That wrath that was due to us because we broke that law and earned that. The wages of sin is death. That's what we earned. Yet it was poured out upon His Son. When you have union with Christ, you paid for those sins. They're gone. Just as you were made a sinner by Christ's or Adam's sin, when you had union with Him, you defeated sin by Christ's death, by having union with Him. 
What did he accomplish in his resurrection? He defeated death and hell. So you defeated death and hell by your union with Christ. You were considered there by God. Do y'all ever think about that? You look at the life, death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of our Lord, and you were considered to have done that. You, if you're in Christ. If you're a believer here today, you did that. It's in your account. You were with Him. That's what union with Christ means. Then He ascended to the right hand of the Father. Right? As a first fruit offering. He was the first fruit. He was the first one to go. And now you can and will enter into that same glory by being in Him. By your union with Christ, you will enter into that. And actually, it says in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, we have been seated in heavenly places. We've already been, It's already done. Know you not this doctrine? That's what the gospel teaches us. That's basic, basic Christianity. Elementary school, that's what you get from going uh, kindergarten to first grade, right? Our union with Christ. The thing about the gospel is you never graduate from that though, right? Thank you. This is the gospel and what you gain by being in Christ. Do not be ignorant of that. Our second point, the first point I was going to, I meant to mention, buckle up because the first point is real fast. But the second point is what baptism? What baptism? It says, Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? What baptism? So by, this is about being in Christ, right? This is our union with Christ. It says we are baptized into Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It must be talking about water baptism, right? When, when you're water baptized in Jesus Christ, that's when you have union with Christ, right? There's actually some that take that approach. And unfortunately, that leads to heresy. And excuse my language if y'all don't like the word heresy. It's going to get worse. <laughs> there are groups out there that actually say that when you are water baptized, you are baptized into Christ at that point. You're not in Christ until you are water baptized. I'll name a few of them. You got the Church of Christ teaches that. Federal Vision teaches that. Mormons teach that. Romans Catholics teach that. It's called baptismal regeneration. You know what that what's wrong with that view? It's works. Works righteousness. It's heresy. It's actually damnable heresy. There's heresies like you might you may say like speaking in tongues we would consider that heresy but people don't go to hell because they believe in speaking in tongues even though it's not true it's not good doctrine it's not true doctrine but people don't go to hell for that people go to hell for this you believe that you get dipped in some water and you go to heaven people are in hell today that believe that water in no way saves you. And if it did, 
Why would Paul be so happy that he baptized none of the, uh, the Corinthians? Right? He says in 1 Corinthians 1.14, he says, I thank God that I baptized none of you. But then he says, but Crispus and Gaius. So I, I thank God that I baptized none of you, apart from two people. And then he says in verse 17, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Christ sent me not to baptize, but preach the gospel. But Paul, isn't that how people have union with Christ? According to what you wrote in Romans 6? No. That's not what it means. Let me say this before we move forward. Water baptism is what we do that points to this baptism. Just like communion is something that we do that points to the death of our Lord, right? We're not, this isn't Mass. The, the Roman Catholic Church, you know the Mass? You know the word Mass, it means sacrifice. They believe they're sacrificing Christ every time they take of the Lord's Supper. That's what it is. It's a real sacrifice. They say it's an unbloody sacrifice. But Jesus is in the bread and the wine, and they re-sacrifice Him every single day. That's not what this is. This is a picture. This is us pointing back to the real death of our Lord. Just as baptism, when we go down and we're dipped in that water, is a picture of this baptism of us being baptized into Christ. Communion doesn't save us, and water baptism does not save us. They both point to a greater matter, and we use them as signs and symbols to point to that fact, right? So our water baptism is a picture of this beautiful truth, and we ought not take it lightly. Romans 6 baptism is the baptism of the Spirit into Christ. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians um, 12. Are you there, Jason? Can you read 12 and 13? For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so is it with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Keep going. Yeah, go ahead. The body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the elder should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, it would be the sense of hearing. If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. That's awesome, right? But you see that right there in verse 13. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. What is that body? Christ, right? We are, we are, we're all baptized into the body of Christ. What is the body of Christ? The church. The Spirit baptizes us in Christ. And what does this mean, baptizes us? It means He immerses us into Christ. He, he immerses us into Christ. He places us into Christ. We are in Him. We are His body. 
This is why we see over and over again in Scripture, in Him or in Christ Jesus. That's what it's talking about. When it says in Him or in Christ Jesus, it's talking about our union with Christ. It's talking about being baptized into Christ. Or being baptized by the Spirit into Christ. Let me take this a little step further. This baptism here is not simply a sprinkling. It's a complete immersion. It's not what, what the, the cook. It's not just a little sprinkle of, of you into Christ, right? Or Christ into It's not the Spirit just sprinkling. No, it's the Spirit immersing you, submerging you. It's actually a writer in the uh, first century used that word to drown somebody. That's what it is. It's to drown you into Christ. That's what the Spirit does when the Spirit comes. He doesn't just give you a little bit. There's no hand or foot outside of Christ. You are completely immersed and submerged and drowned into Christ. That's you in Christ. So the question we must ask, though, is when does this happen? When does this happen? When does the Spirit baptize people into Christ? Because I know there's some out there that talk about this second blessing. There's a second blessing. Yes, you're a Christian. Yes, you believe the gospel. But later on in life, you might get this second blessing. And when, that's when the Spirit baptizes you, right? And all of a sudden, you start speaking in tongues, or you start healing people, or you start doing all this other stuff. That's not what it's talking about. Let me destroy that doctrine real quick. Turn me to Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 9 and 10. But if you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now listen. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If you don't have the Spirit, you do not belong to Christ. There's not, you're a believer, and then later on in life, you get the Spirit. That's not how it happens. Now, but Jeremy, that's how it happened in the book of Acts. Listen, the book of Acts was a historical narrative. We get to see the story. The Spirit was poured out in that first century, right? Now the Spirit is given at conversion. The Spirit comes and converts us. There were believers that didn't have the Spirit yet because God hadn't sent forth the Spirit. Yeah. If you don't have a spirit, you're not his. There isn't some second blessing you get when it's from the spirit later. Let me break it down like this for you. There's this thing that uh, we, the forefront, like to call it's called the Ordo Salutis. It's Latin. It just means order of salvation. The order of salvation. And it would actually behoove us to know it. But first, in the order of salvation. The salvation, how does it work? The first thing that takes place is election. Then this happened before earth ever was. Before God ever created the earth, he elected or, or chose certain ones to be saved. Before they were born, before they were made, before they done any good or evil. That's what Romans chapter 9 tells us, doesn't it? 
and predestination, right? Predestination is he, he's chosen us, but he hasn't just chosen us. He's chosen us for the destination. And the destination is being in Christ and going to heaven, right? So we have that. That's the first step. The second is the calling. So God, before the earth was, was made, He chose, He elected certain ones to be saved. Then He made earth, Adam fell, men are in sin, and then He sends forth a calling. What's the calling? Well, there's two types of calling when, it talk, when, you, when you're in Scripture. There's one is the gospel call. When I'm preaching the gospel to you, the outward call is what we call that. It's somebody's preaching the gospel to you or you're preaching the gospel to somebody else. That's the outward call. That in and of itself doesn't change people. What does is the inward call. That's when the Spirit comes and regenerates you and breaks that heart of stone. This is what we pray for, like for your, for your brother there, that God would break his heart of stone and, and give him a heart of flesh. That's the inward call. And only God can do that. We, we do the outward call, right? We go and preach the gospel, but I can preach the gospel until I'm blue in the face to everybody, and unless God comes and does the inward call, they will never be saved. This is the baptism of the Spirit. This is when it happens. It happens from the inward call to the next step, conversion. The inward call is when the Holy Spirit comes and regenerates you, makes you alive. And He gives you faith and repentance. God-given faith and repentance. And then what do you do? You repent and you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And you are converted and you are saved. You are justified. That's, that's the baptism of the Spirit. That's when that happens. When the Spirit comes, He, he converts you. That's the baptism of the Spirit. And you look upon Christ and you are placed in Him. Sorry. <laughs> I saw a little spittle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at least it didn't hit you. <laughs> Holy water. <laughs> I had to edit that out. <laughs> That's the baptism of the Spirit. It's not some second blessing, but regeneration and conversion, which leads to our justification, our adoption, our sanctification and our glorification. All, all those are big words, right? But that's the order of salvation. You have election, you have calling, then you have conversion, then you have justification. That's where when you, you believe upon Christ and you're justified. And then you have adoption, which many leave this out of the order, order of salutis. Adoption. That means God has brought us into his family. That it's not just that we're, we're just some rebels out here, but we're justified. No. He's brought us into his family. We're his children. And he sanctifies us. He sets us apart for his holy work. And then he glorifies us and takes us to heaven. Praise God for that whole order of salvation. But it's by the baptism of the Spirit which places us in Christ. And that happens at our conversion. At, our, at the inward call and conversion. At regeneration and conversion, you could say. Now let's go back to, to Romans real quick to close up this point of baptism. Notice in our text, I want to... I'll ask you to read again. Will you read those same verses again? 3, 4, and 5? Of 6? Yeah. yeah. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that 
Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in the resurrection like his. Now you notice something in this text. It just doesn't say you're just baptized into Christ, right? It's not, it's not just simply that you're baptized into Christ. Yes, that's true. That you're baptized into Christ. But that's not all of it. We were baptized into his death, burial, and resurrection. So you're not just baptized into Christ. Though, yes, that is true. You're baptized into Christ. But you're baptized into his death, burial, and resurrection. It's like saying you died his death. You were in the same tomb with him. And then he rose from the grave. By the power of the Spirit. That was you that day. Now, with, with all reverence, right? Because it, it's counted into my account because of what he's done. Because I have union with him. That's the gospel, right? And that's what Paul says. Know you not? Do you not know this? That you were baptized into Christ so you think you should live in sin any longer? That was his question, right? Should we live there in sin any longer? Know you not the gospel? Know you not that you're baptized into his death, burial, and resurrection? You have obtained his active and what some call his passive obedience. You have obtained all of that. All of that. It's all yours. It's yours through this baptism. You are not in Adam anymore. That's sin in the garden. It's not placed in your account anymore. But those, those, remember those prayers in the garden of Gethsemane where you sweated drops of blood? That's in your account now. You will not be held accountable for eating of that tree in the garden anymore. But you will be sitting as a king and, and princess with your king eating together. Having communion. Real communion with God. Those sins you have committed in the past, they are tossed into the depths of the sea, as it says in Micah 79. Tossed into the depths of the sea. How deep is the sea? Do we know? It's like every month or so, I see a new thing. It's a new creature they found out there in the, in the sea. And there are some creepy looking things. But that's... Your sins are cast into the depths of the sea. Now they're not necessary. You can't get a submarine and go down there and see your sins. They're not really. It, it's, a, it's a picture. But that sea is Christ's blood. Into the depths of the sea, that sea is his blood. Nobody's going back in there and getting those sins out. They're gone. The devil may try. As the accuser of the brethren, right? But we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, that says, get thee behind me, Satan. When the devil shows up, we have an advocate with Jesus, with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And you've been baptized into him. Baptized into his body. And in so doing, you have been given all the benefits of his life, death, burial, and resurrection. So the question is, are you in him? Have you been baptized into him? If not, don't leave here without knowing the answer to this. Because today, you could be baptized in the fire. And I don't mean in the way the Pentecostals mean it. 
I mean baptized, immersed into hellfire. Today could happen. Submerged into the judgment of hell. That's the end of all mankind. Either baptized into Christ or baptized into hell. Right? There's no other way. You're either baptized into Christ and you, you come to Christ by faith and are justified by faith and baptized and placed into Him and given all the benefits of His life, death, burial, and resurrection. Where you go on living your life however you want and you end up in hell. Believing the gospel leads to one and just being you leads to the other. And Paul gives us somewhat of a proof that you've been baptized into Christ and do believe the gospel. And, and it's my third point here. Newness of life. Paul answers the question of verse 2 with the gospel and our union with Christ, but gives us an example of what it's like to be in union with Christ in this life. We walk in newness of life. Remember the other week when I mentioned how when conversion happened and all of a sudden the sun felt brighter, the sun felt warmer, the wind felt better. It, it was like everything you walked outside, the, the, the clouds looked different, it was blue. And it's, I, I'm being totally honest, that's the way it was when God converted me. But that wasn't it, right? That was, that was part of it. When I woke up and, and, and went outside, it was like creation was all new. But that wasn't it. The other fact was I was changed. Not everything around me was changed, right? Not all creation was changed, but I was changed. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new, right? You have a new relationship with sin as a believer. That's walking in newness of life. You have a new relationship with sin. And it's not a happy-go-lucky, skipping down the yellow brick road type of relationship. It's you hate it. That's the context. Your relationship is one of being dead to sin. That's the context of what we're dealing with here in Romans chapter 6. Are you to continue in sin that grace may abound? No, you have a different relationship. That's the newness of life you have. It's the same thing we saw last week when Paul named a whole list of sins. Remember in 1 Corinthians 6, he, he gives us a whole list of sins and he says, what does he say at the end of it? Such were some of you. Not you are anymore. Such were some of you. You are not these sins anymore. I could quite as easily right now put up a list of all kinds of sins up here and say the same thing about us. Such were some of us. I've heard some of your testimonies. I know what God saved you from. I know what God saved me from. And praise God, right? Such were some of you. That's not me anymore. We see in one another a newness of life in Christ. And we aren't slaves to sin anymore. Oh, we may fall, right? We may fall. We may fail. We may sin here. We may sin there. But sin is dead. And we know it. We know it because we believe the gospel. And because we believe the gospel, we have been, been united with Christ and we have newness of life. In other words, 
You are not dead anymore. And how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? You notice it says live. We live now. That's the difference between me pre-conversion and me after conversion. Pre-conversion, I was dead. I don't even, I, honestly, I don't even look at that as my life. That was not me. I'm totally different now than what I was then. Now, I still have some of the same struggles and fights that I had back then, but that, there wasn't a struggle and fight back then. We didn't live before. We live now. We have newness of life. Being spiritually dead is not living. And we can see this. We can look at around in our world and see this, can we not? We don't. We do see this. And though we shouldn't do this, we kind of scratch our heads sometimes when we see the things that the world places their hope in. Right? We see we, we can turn on the news and see people put place in their hope in all kinds of stuff. This politician. That politician. Didn't matter which side they're on, which politician. We've seen, I mean, we can see it everywhere. People place their hope in stuff that it doesn't matter. They're going to die. And even those that we tend to agree with a lot. I have friends that I agree with on all kinds of stuff. They're not Christians. But we agree on politics. We agree on, on how we should raise our kids and stuff like that. But without the regenerating work of the Spirit, they have no hope. You can raise your kids up as good as you want. You can place your hope in all kinds of little different things and all of it's going to die. You have hope. Which is beyond words. We, as Christians, have hope. And now, you live like it. We should. That's what the text actually says. It was actually confusing. I had to go, go back and look at the Like, does it really say should? But it does. And I think in ESV it says you might. You might live. You might walk in newness of life. You should walk in newness of life. You should. What's the difference in the ones that do and the ones that should? It's very simple, I believe. It's knowing it's remembering. Right? It's just glance down at our chapter right here. Verse 3. Know you not. Verse 6. Knowing this. Verse 9. Knowing that. Verse 16. Know ye not. Over and over again. No, no, no. Understand. Remember. You want to know how to walk in newness of life? Even as you already have it, know God's Word. Memorize it. Study it. Know it. It says, Thy Word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Right? You know what that means? He memorized it. Know it. Do you know it? Not a secondhand knowledge. But a firsthand, when Satan shows up against you, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to go to my pastor. I'm going to go to this person. I'm going to go to that person. No, when you're by yourself and Satan shows up, what are you going to do? Can you say, thus saith the Lord? Or can you say, as it is written? Right? 
What a great example we have of that with Christ and His temptation in the wilderness. He had fasted 40 days. How many of us have ever fasted 40 days? I didn't see no hands. Some of us don't fast 40 minutes. <laughs> Fasted for 40 days, weak and hungry. And then Satan shows up. You know what he showed up with? Hey, let's, let's turn these stones to bread. Food! I'm telling you, 40 days and you tip me with food? You, how did he, what did he say to him? What did Jesus say back to Satan? As it is written... Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then he tempts him again. And what does he say? As it is written. And then he tempts him again a third time. And what does he do? As it is written. Over and over again, he quoted scripture. He didn't have to go, well, hold up, let me, let me check, let me pull out my Torah and, and unscroll it real quick. No, he quoted as it is written, as it is written. Do you think we're better off than he is? That we don't need that? <laughs> Jesus, as a man, quoted Scripture. He knew Scripture. Brethren, know the Scriptures and know them well and walk in newness of life. Because He earned it for you. Amen? <laughs> Application. <clears throat> I changed it up a little bit on application. I got a call to faith and repentance. The text in front of us today clearly displays the gospel for us and what we ought to do in response. So the call is to believe it. Do you, Christian, believe that you have union with Christ? Do you know it? That's what it says. Know you not? Don't be ignorant, right? Do you believe you have union with Christ? Do you believe that all that was accomplished in His life, death, burial, and resurrection is yours? All of it. I mean, do we really believe that? Or do we just mouth it? We say, yeah, we believe that. I've actually had conversations with some brothers that, that I know they believe this, but they feel like God's mad at them sometimes when they sin. And at that point, you can say you're lacking faith. Right? It's not that you're, you're an unbeliever at that point. You just, you lack faith at that point. I'm not believing the gospel because if I truly believe that I'm in Christ and I have everything that he's given me in his life, death, burial, and resurrection, no matter what I do, God will never be mad at me. There's no anger left. It's all been spent. That's what propitiation means. It means his, his, his wrath has been spent. It is gone. Every last drop of it. I mean, let me ask this. Did Christ pay for all of your sins and give you a perfect righteousness or just most of them and almost righteous? And you must accomplish the rest. Is that how, is that how the Christian life works? God did, you know, 98% of it. Now you just got to do the other 2%. If God didn't do 100% of it, I'm lost. And if he did 100% of it, then I need not worry when I fail. I need to get up and get back to work, right? Obviously, my Bible clearly teaches that Jesus Christ perfectly and completely fulfilled the law in his life. 
And he died for every single sin of every single person that was given to him by his Father. And if that's the case, all the elect will be saved and there will be no, there will be no sins left in their account. None. But I still sin, right? But that puts it back into my account. Yeah, he took all my sins out of my account, but I put more sins in. No, that's not how it works. They are paid for. Even those future sins. If he if he, he took all the sins out of your account and gave you a perfect righteousness, you can add nothing back, no more sins back to that account. They're gone. Listen to this, Hebrews 8:12, it says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. The omniscient God, the omniscient God will not remember your sins and iniquities anymore. To you theology buffs, fit that one in your box. The omniscient God will not remember your sins anymore. I can fit it in the box. Do you believe that though? I mean, it's clear. It's not the only text either that God says your sins are gone. If you've been baptized into Christ, you are seen like the sun is seen. Turn with me to John chapter 17. priestly prayer. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. You know what this is talking about. He's talking about us. Neither do I pray for these alone, talking about his disciples, but for them also which shall believe on them on me through their word. So it's talking about us. We believe on God, on Christ, through the word of the disciples. Now, now listen, let's go on. That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be perfect, made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and has loved them as thou hast loved me. The Father, it says, has loved us just as he loves his Son. That's what it says. Don't argue with me, argue with the text. It says, the Father loves us, believers, us who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ through the words of the disciples. The Father loves us just as he loves his son. Do you deserve it? No. Not, you don't deserve one crumb from the table of God's love. Yeah, he lavishes it upon us, doesn't he? 
over and over and over and over and over again for all of eternity. <laughs> what we got here is nothing. What, 60, 70, 80 years maybe? All of eternity, it will never stop. Do you believe that? How does he love us like he loves his son? Because we have union with him. If you're in Christ today, you will be treated as though you are the eternal son. Why? Because you're in him and you have union with him. You are perfectly holy and righteous right now. You are a saint. The word saint is hagion. It, mean, it means holy one. That's what you are. If you're in Christ today, you are a holy one. Not 20 years from now, if you did three miracles and whatever, you know, they, how they declare saints. But you're a saint if you believe in Christ. If you don't know Him today, you are still one with Adam and standing, waiting for eternal judgment. That's it. That's the only thing you have to look forward to is eternal judgment. Why must you go there? The Savior's been presented today, right? Will you leave here and perish in your sins? Or is it time to repent and believe the Gospel and live in newness of life? Don't give Satan another day. Turn from your idols and live unto Christ. Our second here is call to war. This is kind of an extension of point three. But our call is to walk in newness of life. That means you're dead to sin and alive in Christ. If that is you today, then are you walking? Are you busy about the kingdom's work? I mean, don't we have certain commands about what we are supposed to do when we're in the kingdom? I mean, we, can, we, we know commands, right? We, we love law. We can easily look to, to commands, and we should know them. But we have certain commands that we should do if we're in the kingdom. Feed the poor. Take care of widows and orphans. Preach the gospel. Fight sin. Love the brethren. Encourage one another. You know them. I don't think I need to lay them all out. Look at the latter portion of any of the epistles and you'll see plenty, plenty of commands for us. You also have commands how you are supposed to be as a new creature. Not just what you're supposed to do, but how you're supposed to be. Right? Are you that way? Or could you use some work? I think we all here can say we could definitely use some work. Now I'm speaking obviously to Christians here, because as an unbeliever, you're only working to believe upon Christ. And yes, that's still true of us believers as well, but we are also called to do stuff. For we are a workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Uh, one last text here, 2 Peter chapter, or ch yeah, 2 Peter chapter 1.
Will you read verse 4 through 10? For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence, in your faith supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence knowledge. And in your knowledge self-control, and in your self-control perseverance, and in your perseverance godliness. And in your godliness brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness love. For if these, if these qualities are yours, and are your increasing, then render you, ne- render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Brother, Peter doesn't write this in vain, does he? Pay attention to this. Do them. This is about you. This is what, you. when you read through that, you should be thinking, I need to work on this, I need to do this. This isn't about actions that you need to go out and do for others. This is saying this is how you're supposed to be as a person. Do them. Make them abound. Walk in newness of life. Be fruitful and continue even when you're tired. That's that's part of the hardest thing, isn't it? I'm tired. I'm wore out. I don't feel like doing this. I don't feel like reading today. I don't feel like praying. I'm tired. I worked hard today at work. I get it. But the scriptures teach us be not weary in well-doing. When you're tired, tell brother or sister. You can do that, right? I need help, man. I'm tired. I'm wore out. Scripture tells, teaches us we are an army. We're soldiers. What kind of war would it be in if a soldier was laying down tired and we just walked by us? I ain't worried about it. Just left him. No. Wouldn't be a good army. Come alongside one another and fight the good fight together. So, as the scripture says, let's gird up the loins of our minds and go forth as new creations, speaking forth the message that makes all things new. The glory, glorious gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.